As some of you may know, my academic education was a Master of Science degree in Biophysics, which was a five-year course. So I have a lot of interest in biology and biotech. Some of my client work involves bioscience projects and image analysis. So this was an interesting podcast for my you know, personal interest. Basically, I'm interviewing a company, their founders. Uh, the company's called um, Brazen Bio, and it's basically a, a Y Combinator for biosciences to allow biotech startups the finance and capital and facilities to create their you know, test projects uh, and a way that would give them opportunities that they wouldn't have normally. So, hope you enjoy this show. We're quite scientific, but you know, you can manage. Here we go. Hey, Brent and Sean, welcome to the Nico Show. How are you guys doing? Can't complain. Thanks for having us. Good to see you, Nikos. How's life in um, California? It's warmer. Uh, palm trees and sun, sunshine still. <laughs> so you guys are basically making a, a Y Combinator for biotech startups. Can you just give us a little idea of what Y Combinator is and why specifically on um, biotech startups? Yeah, so we're building Brazen Bio. It's, uh, it's, it's more of a platform. And, you know, our, our motto is, uh, you know, we help biotech founders advance human health. And we're doing that through multiple programs. One of them happens to be a fellowship. Uh, we're calling the Brazen Fellowship, uh, where we will incubate founders and their ideas to hopefully launch new startups. Um, it is similar to Y Combinator in that respect, but we're not a fund. We are a, a company. And um, we eventually will um, have our own fund, but for right now we're, we're a C corp. And um, and so you know, down the line we will also pr- uh, provide support through other programs, including events, as well as we hope to build some tools for founders to help them on their journey. Legit. So what are what are your backgrounds? Sure. So I'm Sean Carbonell, uh, MD, PhD. I was originally training to be an academic neurosurgeon. Uh, along the way, I did a lot of research, fell in love with the process of research, obviously having gotten the PhD, and uh, made a discovery uh, on my way towards neurosurgery training, which derailed that entire career path. I decided to pivot from neurosurgery to um, biotech because I had an idea for a new brain cancer drug. And I thought I could help, you know, more people with that drug than I could with my own two hands. And so I took a risk and left the, the training program and founded my first biotech company, Onco Synergy, uh, which is still around today, 10 years later. And I brought an idea to the lab bench. Um, and finally, two patients this year in March treated the first patient uh, with brain cancer at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa. And so I've lived the journey of, of bringing in uh, my research, translating my research from the bench um, to bedside. And I want to basically help others do that through Brazen Bio. Noble cause, my friend, uh, cancers. For sure. Yes, so let me add a little color to this. Uh, Sean and I got to know each other 20 years ago when we were in uh, the University of Pennsylvania. He was training me, helping me set up a laboratory there in the neurosurgical department, the head, Sean Grady, one of our mutual mentors. So we both come from an academic track and I took the basic science route, did the PhD postdoc, and then had a realization 
industry would be the right place for me to continue to be that scientist and then doing it on the industry side. Actually, it was that that time about 10 years ago where Sean was kicking off Onco Synergy. So in fact, I even considered joining him at that time. We were going back and forth around how to work together at that point. And I decided to stay in industry and big pharma and then had built up a leadership career in Asia and Europe and then came back to the States. So I've been on the other side of the industry, then Sean, then uh, over on the big uh, big pharma corporate side, and then us coming together for this brazen bio venture. So, what are the biggest challenges for the people that you're trying to help, like startups in the, the biotech space? Sure, uh, you know, so I've I've actually lived through it, and so there are many frictions being a biotech founder. Obviously, biotech is a lot different than tech. You can't just walk into a Starbucks um, for the free uh, Wi-Fi with your laptop and build a product, um, unless you're independently wealthy, of course, and you're doing everything virtually. But uh, so, you know, biotech founders need infrastructure. They need laboratories, state-of-the-art equipment that is, you know, millions of dollars, and they need sort of a critical mass of smart people around them to help. And so really the first value of death is launch, um, you know, putting all that together. Um, you know, I again, I, I've lived this so 10 years ago. I was basically building, uh, we were basically building Brazen Bio to be um, uh, the program, the resources I needed 10 years ago to start Onco Synergy. And from there, you have issues from IP to getting funding and navigating all the, all the corporate and business end of the company, as well as developing your product. So um, we're helping at the earliest stages to hopefully bring more shots on goal, bring new technologies out from the labs and into the real world. You know, we think uh, I mean, there's there's so many diseases with unmet need, uh, so many diseases where there's uh, very few drugs or no drugs. And that the, on the other hand, there are you know many scientists out there, many stu students out there who may have great ideas to address those diseases. And so we want to bring those two together. So what's like, because like there's universities, I remember from when, when I went to university, there was like incubators within universities that would take new research papers and try and spin out companies. So what, what differentiates you between this kind of university ventures? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a great question. So, you know, there, there are three different categories of incubators currently. There's ones that are um, university-based or government-based, nonprofit-based, uh, accelerator, venture fund-based, and industry-based, of course. And so all of those, um, you know, they basically fund in order to serve their, their own interests. We're unique in that we are not affiliated with industry, academia, or um, a government, um, and we are our own um, entity. And so that allows us to put founders first. That's our motto, founder-friendly founder first, um, and so that there aren't any competing um, incentives, right? So we're all about making sure founders can succeed. And again, we believe there's massive unlocked value in, in scientists translating their research um, to patients uh, through startups. Um, so we're unique in, in, the, in that fact, as well as we bring to bear all the things you need in one place, uh, in particular, our senior fellowship, which is our sort of council of advisors, uh, several dozen people we've worked in the past who are willing to consult pro bono um, to help our, our founders uh, get, their, get their idea into the real world. Um, so there's a lot of things there uh, that we can expand on, but that's, that's essentially the difference. So what are your like long-term aspirations for, for uh, Brazen Bio? So 
just to frame everything, our 10-year vision is to put everything under one roof and create what we're calling the Brazen Institute, which will be a vertically integrated um, organization where we can put everything under one roof uh, from the initial sort of what we have uh, now for the Brazen Fellowship, this, this incubator idea, combine that with an accelerator for later stage companies, and then also provide resources such as phase one scale manufacturing and regulatory help and clinical clinical trial help. Um, again, all under one roof here in sunny Southern California, much like Y Combinator does uh, or used to do in the Bay Area, everyone would have to move to Mountain View or the surrounding areas in order to start the companies uh, through Y Combinator. So we see the same thing happening for, for Brazen Bio. In five years, our goal is to help launch uh, 100 companies. So what kind of partners are you, look, are you looking for in terms of like industry? Um, for example, I've got a biophysics degree. Like my first love was sort of bio, biology and physics. And I want to sort of like get back into that image analysis field. So I've learned a lot of skills in terms of the web. Um, I'd like to potentially work with more and more startups in image analysis, but obviously there's going to be all sorts of other providers out there. So how would you get, like, connect them both? How would you go about that? Brent's in charge of uh, partnerships, so let, let him talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Nikos, are you referring to uh, the fellowship program uh, to enroll in our incubator program? Um, can, you, can you clarify what the fellowship is again? Sure. So we're referring to our founders, our incoming founders as our fellows, our fellowship. So they would be the originators of the idea, have that passion for the project they need to mature. And then we provide the resources for them to eventually incorporate and spin out through our incubator program. So in terms of the incoming founders, is this what you had in mind? Yes. Well, I was like, are you providing all of the the services that they need or would you connect the fellowship with like other industry partners like for example myself absolutely so it's big reason why we're having these conversations now as well as with yourself to have make the awareness to make sure that the industry broadly knows brazen bio exists from the incoming founders side as well as those partnerships and what we found is that it's critical to get that awareness we're a new company a startup ourselves so making the community more broadly aware of Brazen Bio, what we're doing, what's coming in our doors, and whether it's on the tech side, the biotech side, from the laboratory side, ultimately even hardware or commercialization, partnerships are appreciated at all levels, all aspects of the value chain, introductions, opening doors, and collaboration is the best way to do this. Essentially interesting to me because I've got like 12 years of software experience and technology that I've developed that I can you know, I could just talk to people in there and see what they need, you know, like whether it's like looking at genomic strings or image analysis, like it would be nice to get back into the industry because I've spent a lot of time in finance and just retail, but my first love is in a sense is in science, you know. Of course. And and just getting more granular. So all of that is important. And, and of course, uh, connecting people is one of the things that we will offer. But you know, we're focused primarily at Brazen Bio on diagnostics and therapeutics, um, so RxDx. Um, we're also interested generally in, in anything that could impact um, uh, patient health and wellness, of course. So you know, initially what we're providing is laboratory facilities and um, of course a computer and then and you know, sort of the 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 overhead aspects. And so 
people need to only pack a bag and, the, and they can get ready to go and do their work. Um, subsequent to that, of course, we'll match our fellows with our senior fellows, our, our experts, our consultants, pro bono consultants, council of advisors, um, to help them on their further journey. Um, so, you know, and our program is 12 weeks long, um, but they'll once once you're a brazen fellow, you're always a brazen fellow, and and we will try to help you uh, along the way. Mm. So, um, you also, Sean, you mentioned about this um, cancer therapies for the brain. I'm quite interested in that that technology because, you know, this cancer is so awful and it affects everybody's everybody knows somebody who's been affected by it. So, can you just let me know what your um, your your product is and what your your maybe thoughts are, are on like future can, cancer therapies involving things like, for example, mRNA. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I was, I've been interested ever since I was an undergraduate in, in brain cancer. Uh, and that's because I, I started going to neurosurgical grand rounds in the hospital um, and seeing all these patients and that back then, this was the mid nineties, right? So putting a little age on me. So this is the mid nineties. There were no approved therapies for brain cancer, uh, glioblastoma. Um, and I am wearing my nonprofit t-shirt today, cure glioblastoma. Uh, and tomorrow, it, uh, tomorrow is actually glioblastoma awareness day in the United States. Uh, but in any case, so I was, I was, I became obsessed with this idea of, of, uh, you know, creating a new drug for, for brain cancer. And so that became my mission. And, I thought that would initially be through neurosurgery, but of course, neurosurgery can only go so far. You can cut it out, but it always comes back. Um, and so, again, I made the decision to develop this drug. And it, it's it's the first, it's actually the first clinical stage um, inhibitor of CD29, um, which is a really critical driver of, of malignant progression and growth and drug resistance. And so uh, it had a lot of no one thought you could target this 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 molecule safely, safely, um, and we were the first to show show it um, in primates, and now it's in it's in humans, um, and so that's that's very gratifying, um, and so obviously it's just in early stage clinical trials at this time. So putting that aside, you know, I think cancer obviously is is a massive opportunity. I think uh, ever since uh, checkpoint inhibitors a decade ago sort of blew open the field. And now in, in the hospital these days, it's, a, it's an immunotherapy versus everything else type of world. But obviously immunotherapies uh, don't cure all cancers. They, they, they do very well in, in melanoma, for instance. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but of course, that's only about 15, 20% of the patients. And so there's a lot of room to grow there. And I think uh, the biggest potential is in combining the immunotherapies with other types of therapies, including my my potential um, therapy, it's a, you know it's a drug candidate called OS two nine six six, and we've done some studies on on that, and that's actually what my nonprofit is is working on. But yeah, so I see I see a huge potential for for cancer therapy based on you know the success we've seen with the immunotherapy so far. Of course, James Allison winning winning the Nobel Prize for his for his work on on the checkpoint inhibitors. Was that a colleague of yours? No, no, he's a uh, very famous uh, cancer biologist from Texas, but uh, I've never met him. <laughs> so, so your dr drug OT22, whatever it is, that targets a molecule produced by cancerous cells in the brain. Yeah, it actually uh, targets a molecule that's that that's overexpressed in pretty much all solid tumors. Um, and but of course, I focus my studies on the brain. Now, 
you know, we've also done studies in, in breast cancer, ovarian cancer. Um, we're currently doing studies in, in, um, in leukemias. Um, and I'm probably missing a couple, but uh, so, so uh, the, the potential is broad, but uh, of course I started with uh, the tumor that, that I wanted to sort of address, which is glioblastoma. So like given like tumors could be, I don't know, thousands to millions of cells deep, how do you get your drug to each level of depth in that tumor? That's a, that's a great question. A lot of people don't really understand that. Uh, and even I didn't, when I started the company, I thought we could just stick a cannula into the CSF and, you know, infuse it. And then it basically distribute throughout the brain. Um, uh, what we've, what we understand now is that that doesn't happen at all. Um, and um, even, you know, if you to inject physically with a, with a syringe, basically most of it would just reflux back out. So what we're using a technique called uh, convection enhanced delivery, uh, which is basically really slow infusion with a catheter. So we're literally sticking a catheter into the middle of the tumor and slowly under pressure, um, just to, just to overcome, you know, the, the interstitial pressure in the brain itself, um, slowly um, infusing the tumor. Um, that, the drug is also interspersed with gadolinium, um, which is obviously the contrast agent. And so you can actually take MRIs while you're infusing and you can see exactly where your drug is going. Uh, at least you can see where the contrast is going so that you can see that you've fully uh, covered the tumor. Um, and so that's, that's how we've uh, decided to address it. Um, you know, other people are looking at crossing the blood brain barrier, but then you still have the issue of, of uh, distribution, even if it gets past the blood brain barrier, because you know, we, people have shown that, you know, macromolecules don't really um, diffuse freely in the brain, uh, particularly antibodies. So, uh, so we think this is the most direct way of doing it. It's invasive, but uh, it's a well-established technique uh, that's been around for decades. So when you're visualizing the distribution of a drug, are you, has it been distributed through blood vessels and capillaries and then by osmosis, or is there some kind of, well, that plus some kind of process to take the drug into the cell or, or does, it, does this process happen outside of the cell? Oh, it's all out. It's all. So the target of the drug is extracellular. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's all, it's all extracellular. Um, you know, the, when you, when you're, when you're pushing fluid into the brain, obviously it'll go in, in regions with, with the least resistance. So you'll see it first track along vessels and, um, and then eventually throughout the other in, interstitium, but conveniently, the uh, that's not something we designed. Um, so, so like I missed the last fifteen seconds because of my internet. Could you, could you repeat that, please? Uh, yeah. So, so yeah. So the you know when you when you inject a drug into the into the brain or any tissue. Um, it'll it'll go along the path of the least resistance, which can be along blood vessels, and so um, and that's actually advantageous because a lot of the most important glioblastoma cells, the most malignant, tend to be right along the blood vessels. And again, that's not something we've designed. That's that's obviously just a, a, a characteristic of the biophysics of, of tumors. Mm -hmm. Cool. So so Brent, what's can you can you let me know a little bit about the, the reception your company has had, or is that too I guess to private right now, I'm not sure what, what you're on that. Absolutely. So 
I, I would love to come back around to your questions around therapy also, because I have some input to that. Then uh, with regards to the reception, it's been fantastic to see the amount of support in particular on the professional platforms like LinkedIn uh, through various channels of colleagues we've worked with, uh, podcasts like yourself, Nikos, uh, the reception in terms of our, our launch ourselves as Brazen Bio, uh, a lot of colleagues around the globe, uh, really pleased to see what we're doing. And we have uh, put out a couple polls, in fact, also to understand where some of the friction may be with regards to biotech entrepreneurship and startups. And it's really overwhelming. It's not a lack of good ideas uh, as a gap. It's not necessarily regulation either. It's, it, it is in fact resources, uh, access to resources for these biotech founders in terms of infrastructure, uh, as well as uh, guidance and mentorship in particular, which uh, a follow-up poll has revealed the access to subject matter experts in the form of what we're building with Brazen Bio, the senior fellowship. So all these industry veterans we've worked with for years, whether they're from academia or industry or various aspects of the industry, this has really been a, a grassroots or uh, attempt to build the ecosystem and consolidate around these biotech founders we're here to help. Good stuff. So, Sean, um, uh, oh, by what you wanted to talk about um, therapeutics as well, Brent? Yes, just a, a little uh, double click on your question there with regards to cancer therapy, in particular mRNA. So uh, these vaccines presently we're all familiar with in the forms of mRNA. And I've, I've mentioned this previously, uh, and it, it is important to draw reference from this technology were originally discovered and developed for cancer vaccines. So these vaccines were in the pipeline prior to the pandemic. And then the pivot towards the, the viral infection was obviously necessary. Informed, what I'm getting at is these technology are unclear exactly what application they will be applied to. Although coming back around to cancers, specifically mRNA, I would imagine being used in a form of cancer vaccine or a personalized vaccine for patients in time. Mm -hmm. So this, this mRNA vaccines, they're, they're making um, spike proteins. And so do these spike proteins go into the, the bloodstream or like do they, are they a sort of, a, does the immune system tackle them in the bloodstream before but, you know, where they end up some random place in the body. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I've not seen any images of how the, the spike proteins get distributed. I'm not aware of the, the, the details of that other than my understanding that it's a tethered spike protein. And so I assume it would stay local um, and uh, the immune, cell, immune cells will come in and take it to the local lymph nodes. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with, with any of the distribution data. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in terms of cancer cells, are there enough sort of distinguishing features between them and ordinary cells that you think that cancer could be cured? Yes, and that's the power of immunotherapy, of course. Um, you know, the, the thing about um, targeted therapy, you know, which, is, which in the past decade was sort of the thing, um, the thing about that is obviously you're only targeting one molecule, um, that may be on 90% of the tumor cells, but as soon as you treat it, um, studies have shown even within minutes, uh, the tumor is already adapting. Um, and so 
um, that that should show you that these these cells are highly adaptable and they don't even need to necessarily mutate. They they have the ability to adapt uh, because they have the same drive that any other any of our cells have, which is to survive, and and they will um, um, uh, use those in order to do so. So uh, the the beauty about the immune system is you don't even necessarily need to know the targets. Um, the immune system will take care of that. It's it's uh, it's basically you know the body's own drug manufacturing facility, and it's completely adaptable, just like the tumors. Now, the problem is, of course, tumors are smart, and they uh, put up these signals to disguise themselves to make them look not like cancer so that the immune system uh, can't detect them. And that's basically the heart of immunotherapy, and, and at least for checkpoint inhibitors. Um, and there's many others, uh, many other molecules along that line, and people are definitely pulling on that thread. Uh, so, so it's just a matter of uh, basically uncloaking the tumor cells and getting enough traction so that uh, the immune system um, can start to recognize these cells and and uh, get a foothold. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting there. We need we need to combine again. I think we need to combine conventional techniques along with immunotherapy um, in order to get there. But I think we're very close. I'm I'm shocked to hear that you said that cancer cells are like almost like self-aware in a sense of just what they can do. And the thing is with cancer cells, they don't behave like viruses and bacteria in that they're in a sense it's their aim is to kill the host. So they, in a sense, they're killing themselves. So it'd be nice if you could trick the cancers to sort of self-preserve themselves so they don't kill the host and they just sort of like a, like a cyst or something that just sits there and doesn't do anything. But I mean, they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're suicidal and they're, they're selfish, the cancers, you know? Yeah, so that's there's there's lots of people trying to attempt that, and that's the sort of the differentiation approach. Um, and so obviously that hasn't really um, been successful. I don't I don't know that anything has uh, been brought to the clinic to do that, but uh, at least in in the, in the laboratories, that's something that people have been looking at for some time. Um, but but I think uh, I, I agree. Anything if you can if you can turn cancer into a chronic issue rather than uh, an acute issue, then that's then that would be beautiful. The thing is, cell biology, it's not something you can like imagine in your head what's going on, because in a sense, have you ever seen like people that have not seen cells under an electron microscope? It's, it makes Manhattan look like a simple piece of, you know, um, diagram, the, the, the absolute unbelievable complexity and the amount of different processes happening at once. It's like we're trying to make fixes for problems in that system, you know, so like a web developer or a programmer, he can sort of debug each line of code step by step to figure out what the problem is. But with like biology, you've got so many variables happening at once and, and we can like debug the cells step by step to figure out what's going on. Maybe we can model stuff better in the future, but you know, who knows really? No, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, this is exactly what... Uh, we're also focused on here with Brazen Bio in terms of the diagnostic space. So this is early detection, Nikos. This is going all the way upstream to when disease is manifest before it presents symptoms to catch it very early on for treatment or in fact prevention. So understanding those uh, analogies of the bug that you had alluded to in the software side, on the human side, understanding where some uh, biomarker may be off prior to the uh, clinical manifestation or the symptoms appearing. This is really important for long-term human health. In a sense, we'll be able to do more as, you know, have supercomputers, quantum computers 
there's potential, more potential for good in a sense, but there's also the elephant in the room potential for bioterrorism is, I mean, for me, viruses are more scary than, than of course, like almost like nuclear weapons because you've seen how much uh, this this virus affected the world. And, you know, it's like we, we are all like operating systems that can produce viruses and, you know, like, machines for spreading you know potential new viruses so i just wonder how we manage to protect like as biotech becomes more democratic and democratized how we protect prevent protect humanity from terrorist bioterrorists you know uh, hard question that's that's, that's yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's an advanced question i i i it's, so it's, I, a, it's I, a very I difficult just, one yeah. i just dumped that on you guys there. this <laughs> one this comes down to education and, and it's <laughs> a big part of what needs to be more clear to people who are outside the field, outside of this specific industry, those who are, are lacking the jargon or the terminology understanding of what's being communicated. Sean has done an outstanding job in various channels of communicating science and making it fascinating and interesting for people to understand. And I believe this is addressed like, like other forms of, of, terrorism or behavior, which is uh, counterproductive to society, it comes down ultimately to education. Yeah, I, I almost depressed myself by asking that question. <laughs> like, it's... Uh... I mean, so if you, if you open the floodgates, uh, you let in the good and the bad. So it's just a matter of, you know, uh, obviously, we we manage we manage the the downside um, as things come, but uh, yeah. hopefully, you don't let that limit your upside. Elon Musk is saying saying the same thing as well about you know AI that there's always the potential for good, but you know he's all he's also worried about AI becoming the the destruction of us all. You know, the thing is with AI, it's it's much more accelerated than anything biological because things happen at the speed of light, whereas cellular processes happen at the speed of <laughs> flows of liquids and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. The singularity. Um, but, but I think uh, the, I think, I think the, the immunological singularity is also in um, hand for, for cancer. Cause, cause again, so just to get back to one, some of the points that you're saying, you know, the body and biology will be, will always be smarter than, than scientists. Right. So scientists, trying to identify, even if they, have, if, they have, if they have computers, it's it's garbage in, garbage out, right? But the immune system is the only thing that can actually be on the ground as a ground troop, see what's going on, adapt in real time, and then produce uh, whatever effect, you know, either um, produce antibodies or, or recruit other cells. Um, and so that's that's why I see uh, the, the immune system as, as being the future for not only cancer, but for many other diseases, because a lot of it is rooted in inflammation. Yeah, the more information we have, the more we can we can protect ourselves. Cool. So, um, anything else you want to add before we finish our, our first episode? Uh, well, so uh, applications are open for the Brazen Fellowship that is uh, starting later this summer in Los Angeles. Uh, this is not limited to people in Los Angeles. Uh, we pay for travel. Um, it is limited to folks who can work and live in the U.S. Um, legally, of course. At least uh, this first batch. This is our alpha batch. We're just, we're learning as as along with with everyone else, um, but we're really excited. We already got some very very cool technologies, some very cool applications, and and uh, we're still taking more. So get them in. 
yeah, it'd be nice to uh, swing by there at some point. I've still I've got a plan to visit California um, once some um, travel restrictions get a bit easier. So, mate, you might I might I might jump by for a coffee at some point. <laughs> Absolutely, come visit us. Don't don't bring any variants. But <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I was in I was in Ukraine for a bit there, and everyone was talking about the British variant. And I was every time they said it, I felt bad for being there. You know, like <laughs> British variant. You know, and I'm well, I'm not in the British UK much now, but you know, it was interesting to hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they've got rid of those country names for the variants. You know, like the Indian variant and all this stuff. And all the, yeah, and all the letters and numbers. Yeah. Alpha beta is, is better. <laughs> how, how do people um, get in touch with you guys? Yes, yeah, so we're on all channels as uh, Brazen Bio at Brazen Bio, or also a website brazen.bio or brazenbio.com. Cool. Well, you've certainly piqued my interest back to dig up my um, biophysics chops and I'll see what uh, I can come up with. But uh, thanks for your time, um, Brent and Sean. It's been fun to have you on the show. Absolutely. Thank you, Nikos. Cool. Yep. And thanks for everyone who's watched. Um, hopefully you're on um, Montreal in Biology and uh, we'll see you around soon again on the show. See you all later. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Nikos Show. I trust you enjoyed its content and were transported on an adventure. If you are a world-class expert in your field or you know one, please get in touch. I'm also looking for long-term partners to sponsor the show. Please share with your friends if you like this episode and please leave a rating and leave a review if you haven't done already. See you again soon. Nikos out. Bye-bye.